time for GMS Focus. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen concluded her four-day trip to Beijing, where she discussed trade restrictions and supply chains with high-level Chinese officials. Her visit came after China abruptly slapped export curbs on chip-making metals, heightening its technological war with the U.S. and Europe, while some might view as a tit-for-tat move to counteract the U.S. move too. For more on the outcome of her recent trip and what the escalated chip war means to South Korea, Professor Yang Jun-sak at the Catholic University of Korea now joins us on the line. Good morning, Professor Yang. Good morning. All right, let's begin. Uh, Yellen, some might argue, played the good cop during her trip. She said on the record, U.S.-China decoupling would be catastrophic to both countries, emphasizing economic cooperation and explaining the boundaries of de-risking as opposed to decoupling. What is your overall assessment of this trip and some of the key takeaways? It, it seems that other experts, both in China and the U.S., cautioned against expecting a lot to change. Well, uh, as you mentioned, uh, very little was expected and relatively little was uh, actually delivered at the end. So it was basically in line with expectations. Uh, But I think the important thing here is that the uh, things at least didn't get any worse. Uh, It left room for further uh, negotiations and further conversations, not only in the uh, economic policy arena, uh, but also... uh, the uh, further meetings, uh, two meetings between uh, the defense ministers and uh, climate warming uh, minister is coming up. Uh, now, Janet Yellen had conversations with major players in China's economic policy, Premier Li Kuang, uh, Vice Premier He Li Feng, uh, fi- Finance Minister Li, uh, Liu Kun, uh, and Party Chief of People's Bank of China, Pan Gongsheng. Uh, and the uh, talks uh, range from protection of U.S. firms in China, uh, U.S. tariffs and trade restrictions, restrictions on investment, uh, technology access limitations, cooperation on global war- uh, warming. So uh, in uh, the area of economic policy, it was a wide-ranging talk, uh, and apparently there were no uh, big illusions on both sides. Uh, no, uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, as you mentioned, just before the talks began, China announced restrictions on uh, Micron Electronics, mm. uh, which will substantially reduce the uh, revenues and profits for that company. And China uh, announced export restrictions on gallium and germanium. Uh, these are crucial uh, rare earths that are used mm. for uh, pro- uh, production of uh, IT-related products. Uh, and these restrictions seem to be modeled on U.S. restrictions on Huawei and export restrictions on critical technology. So, yeah, it does seem like it's a bit of a tit-for-tat. Uh, and uh, U.S. has complained about both, but if they didn't expect that China would have uh, these type of uh, reprisals, uh, then the U.S. is uh, running further behind uh, the uh, curve than expected. Mm. Uh, now, despite changes in wording from decoupling to de-risking, uh, and uh, Yellen saying that the coupling will be a big mistake, uh, and U.S. seeks diversification. Uh, there's 
Uh, not really. Doesn't seem to be that much of a difference between <laughs> what they're calling decoupling and de-risking because, well, no one's really sure uh, what the uh, definition of decoupling versus definition of de-risking is. Uh, and so far, the U.S. hasn't really shown any substantial policy differences uh, between those uh, two concepts. Uh, so uh, I think both sides were just feeling each other out. Mm. Uh, but U.S. may be recognizing that it is impossible uh, uh, to uh, go at everything alone. Now, President Trump also had a similar uh, re- recognition. He initially wanted everything built in the United States, uh, but uh, after he... Uh, tried that for about a year. He realized that was impossible. So mm-hmm. then he started talking about so-called French shoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, last year, China was actively uh, seeking a thaw, but U.S. refused. Now it seems a bit the opposite way. Uh, chi- uh, U.S. is uh, seeking a thaw, but now China refusing. Uh, but both sides uh, have... Uh, taking uh both sides are uh at least talking they haven't done that since uh before the uh, chinese spy balloon incident Mm -hmm. uh but we should note that i think uh, even though the uh executive branches seems to be thawing there is a lot of anger in u.s congress about this trip uh especially the uh once uh, Yellen got to China, uh, she supposedly bowed to uh, Chinese leaders, and a lot of congressmen doesn't seem to like that because it seems like U.S. is capitulating. Ah, okay. So there are certain takeaways. For example, I think you rightfully highlight the point. For now, at least, there seems to be no big difference in in, in policy making when it comes to differentiating between decoupling and de-risking, but. As you mentioned, perhaps this is a good starting point. The fact that both sides have actively said on the record that they want to engage and regularly communicate, but it certainly doesn't solve these more deeply rooted issues. Uh, Here's another major source of U.S.-China tensions. One of the key concerns for China was Washington's removal of tariffs. Uh, These tariffs are slapped by former U.S. President Trump. Can you give us an update about the tariff issue, uh, Professor Yang? Would the United States be inclined to remove them? anytime soon? Uh, It doesn't look that way. Uh, While studies have shown that the uh, U.S. importers and consumers are actually paying most of the tariffs, and there there is some evidence that perhaps uh, the uh, uh, tariffs on Chinese goods are contributing uh, to U.S. inflation, though not as much as some people claim. There is... very little chance of tariffs going down in the near future because there is substantial support in U.S. Congress to maintain these uh, Mm. tariffs. Um, Now, as I mentioned, uh, the uh, economic studies do say that the uh, tariffs on Chinese goods are uh, affecting U.S. inflation, uh, but the actual hit may not be that large, um, partially because importers and firms seem to be absorbing much of the uh, tariff payments. Uh, So even though they are paying tariffs, the uh, consumer prices have not risen as much as tariffs. Uh, The uh, Peterson Institute for International Economics estimate that between November uh, 2020 uh, to uh, November 2021, uh, when U.S. had an annual inflation of 6.8%, 
if Chinese tariffs were removed, uh, it would reduce inflation only by about 0.3%. Uh, so uh, because, partially because uh, the tariffs are not affecting U.S. inflation too much, uh, the uh, Biden administration and U.S. Congress are seems to be uh, very strongly in favor of maintaining the uh, tariffs. This is also part of the sort of the anti-free trade mood that these two institutions have. Uh, they're uh, in no mood to lower tariffs on China, and USTR has signaled that it is proceeding with current sort of America first oriented trade policies. Uh, it is, uh, you, while U.S. has removed or reduced tariffs on steel and steel products uh, from the European Union, it, it's not removing quotas uh, on uh, Korean steel despite loss in the uh, WTO dispute settlement mechanism that said that uh, the uh, tariffs on uh, steel, quota on steel, uh, was uh, not in line with WTO uh, uh, agreements. Mm. Uh, so the United States is not very inclined to uh, go for, to a free trade policy, and they're not inclined to reduce uh, tariffs on Chinese goods either. Uh, but the U.S. is still in some ways, very dependent on Chinese exports. U.S. trade deficit with China in 2022 was $382.9 billion. That's the highest in history. Uh, so uh, these two economies are still dependent on each other. Mm. Uh, just that uh, uh, the, uh, even though they are dependent on each other, they don't like each other very much. <laughs> Which pers- puts us in this predicament that uh, they do rely on each other. However, uh, <laughs> they don't see eye to eye because China will be inclined to put China first and the U.S. U.S. first. That's just the truth and that's just good economics. Uh, it, it slapped, China, excuse me, slapped new restrictions on the export of rare metals, like gallium and germanium, namely necessary to make some semiconductor chips. What are the expected impact on the United States as well as other countries, namely South Korea, Professor Young? Okay, well, let's uh, first review what gallium and germanium does. Uh, It's used for uh, producing state-of-the-art semiconductors, military radars, LED panels, solar panels, uh, electric vehicles, and wind turbines. Uh, China produces about 60% Mm -hmm. of world germanium, that's only about 180 metric tons, um, and it produces 90% of world's gallium, uh, and that's about 606 uh, metric tons. So while these are very important uh, components in making these products, uh, they're not used a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, gallium and germanium, are uh, they're not mined directly, but derived from mining other metals. But U.S. actually has a potential capacity to produce both uh, gallium and germanium. In fact, uh, their uh, reserves, if you want to call that, uh, is as large or even larger than China. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but uh, it is very difficult to uh, produce these products partially because uh, it has environmental problems if you uh, mm-hmm. use them, uh, partially because uh, the cost of uh, producing these two uh, uh, rare earth is uh, 
it would be a lot higher if it was produced in U.S. or other uh, countries. Uh, so uh, if China does go with the uh, uh, trade restrict, uh, export restrictions, uh, then uh, first of all, it's not clear which countries will be affected by the ex- uh, export restrictions. Uh, it would probably con- uh, include U.S. and Japan, uh, but it's not clear whether it will include Korea because, well, uh, China is still dependent on Korean semiconductors. They have been trying to improve their semiconductor technology, but it hasn't really been uh, successful. Uh, now, um, China may catch up to Korea uh, sometime in the future, but for now, China is dependent on uh, Korean semiconductors, so mm-hmm. it may not be in their interest uh, to include Korea in their export restrictions. Uh, but even if, uh, say, uh, China does include Korea, there are other sources of germanium and uh, gallium. Uh, for example, as I said, United States can produce gallium and germanium. It's just that uh, they would need to relax some of their environmental regulations, and it will definitely be more expensive. Uh, then uh, recycling is mm-hmm. also another option. Already about 30% of uh, gallium and germanium used come from recycling uh, the uh, IT products that people dump. Uh, So it is possible to uh, get around these export restrictions, but it will definitely raise the cost for producers. Mm. And if the cost gets raised for producers, that might mean that consumers might have to pay a a higher price, and that's welcomed by absolutely nobody. And and you've got to consider the competitive edge, yet recycling sources is already being done. It is one of the possibilities. Uh, Professor Young, experts are warning that the U.S.-China chip war is just beginning. So then how should chip giants like South Korea weather the storm? Do you think there is enough efforts being made by the government to diversify the import channel? Well, as I said, China is still dependent on Korean chip production, Mm. so there's a good chance that uh, Korea will escape the uh, Chinese export ban, or at the very least, it won't uh, completely cut off Korean companies. Mm. Uh, But uh, can Korea diversify its uh, sources of rare earth outside China, as I mentioned? Uh, A lot of that depends on uh, how the United States and their allies go about it. Uh, it is possible to uh, mine uh, gallium and germanium uh, in the United States or in other countries. But again, you would have to relax environmental regulations, and it would definitely be at a higher cost. Mm. Uh, now, uh, is enough efforts being met, uh, made by the government, Korean government, to diversify import channels? Uh, this has always been a bit of a, well, a mystery to me. Uh, is it the job of government to uh, guarantee uh, that uh, companies uh, find uh, find alternate sources for these companies? I mean, uh, it is the job of uh, companies in a capitalistic economy uh, to find uh, new ways of supplies. Uh, if you have a shortage of something, then uh, the first company to find an alternate source usually uh, makes a lot of additional profit. Mm-hmm. So this is what companies are supposed to do. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you expect the government to do everything, then what is a company 
uh, well, what does it exist for? Uh, if not to find new ways to make profit. So uh, it seems that the expectation that uh, the government has to provide uh, alternate sourcing for these type of things, uh, we saw that during uh, Japanese uh, export restrictions on the, the chemicals required for semiconductors. We saw this in uh, when Korea had shortages of urea uh, solution, the ammonia solution that's required for diesel uh, engines. Uh, if uh, government is responsible for supplying uh, all these things, then why does private companies exist? Do you think maybe those expectations are dated at a time where the Korean economy was noticeably smaller, that the government intervention and the help and the push was necessary, and maybe times have changed? Well, the uh, small and medium-sized companies, some of them do not have the capacity Mm -hmm. to find Mm -hmm. alternate sourcing, and this is usually why uh, a lot of people... uh, require the government to find alternate sourcing mm. for them. Mm. Uh, but, uh, again, uh, it's the uh, job of the private sector to try to find alternate uh, sourcing. They usually have uh, those small and medium-sized companies notwithstanding. Companies have a better knowledge or should have better knowledge of where they can find these uh, crucial chemicals if they require it. Mm. Uh, but the very fact that the, uh, they're uh, not able to find out the sourcing or the, uh, they are not capable of looking around for themselves may be telling something about how the Korean economy, uh, Korean companies, Korean management works. And it's not a very good picture if you're looking for things like innovation or flexibility. Mm. Thank you very much, Dr. Young. We'll have to leave on that insightful note. We appreciate it, and we'll speak to you again next week. Thank you. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.